0: everyone has a story but not everyone is a storyteller
1: hello my name is karen tang tang Ren.
0: and my name is ahmed nomadic ali welcome you're listening to otherwise wisdom from the other
1: a podcast dedicated to empowering diverse communities living on treaty 6 territory by sharing stories of their lived experiences
0: we are recording today june 20th 2021
1: well hello karen how are you doing i'm good how are you today
0: Honestly, cannot complain. I've been overwhelmed with a lot of the campaign stuff. Um, you know, it's as challenging as it can get. Sometimes your mind is distracted while you're doing a million things, and then also the two girls and just trying to be a father. But honestly, I have my emotional and mental well-being. So I think that's the most valuable part. How about you?
1: I feel similar for sure. But happy Father Father's Day! Woo-hoo. I hope you got to spend some really quality family time. I know I did. We got you know we got lots of sun this weekend. But similarly, I feel like. We're entering summer, uh, we're entering, you know, fall opening where people are getting double vaxxed. You know, you're everyone's kinda of gearing up towards the the exciting part of a campaign and hitting the campaign trail much harder than how things have been going. So I think the stress, I can feel the stress for sure.
0: It's funny that we talk about how how are you doing? It, it's like you we carry this mentally wherever we go. We're constantly thinking about it, whether it's just one aspect, or is it social media, or what, is it an email to respond to, or is it uh, some type of logistics? It seems like even though you're not physically at an office, you're still carrying on that responsibility. You know,
1: it's constant. It's constant. Uh, I guess we haven't spoke seeing each other for the last couple of weeks. Like, what was the highlight? What was the low light for you? Um,
0: honestly, I'd like to say that I think my highlight was on Friday, the 18th, there was the anti-Islamophobia event and it was good to be outdoors. I recently got, well, not recently, about two weeks ago, I got my second dose. And so I'm fully vaxxed. And so being in the public and my uh, children were there and my wife is there as well. So it was good to be outdoors and see bodies and see Mm -hmm. people. Um, As an introvert, I like to hide. Uh, I don't, I don't like to not have an option to be an introvert, you know, so... Um, yeah, that's that's the highlight, the low light. Again, honestly, I'm very bad at complaining. Uh, my father would always say, "Don't <laughs> you know, study, it's not, study. It's not other people's problem, it's your problem." But honestly, I'm not gonna lie to you. The campaign stuff, it it does it does bog you down. You're there, are just a slight little something said or something mm-hmm. done, just completely throws you off, and you have to bring and center yourself back. So. But at the same time, things are going super well in the campaign as well. So how can I complain? But things are well. Things are well. Yourself?
1: Uh, well, yeah. Highlight is definitely a lot of the community stuff that's been happening. June's been quite busy. Lots of community like speaking stuff. That always gets me excited. I mean, they're all still online. You see people in Zoom boxes. But it's people nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say uh, a bit of a low light for the past couple of weeks is just feeling actually quite overwhelmed you know, there are things I've said no to, there are things I think, were just like catching up with me. And when you are so involved with doing uh, not only the the campaign stuff, and but also your family and your day to day work, but also a lot of this community organizing, something, you know, a friend has said to me recently that I didn't really think about, but it kind of caught up to me at some point was that like you're going through a lot of trauma yourself. And when you're doing these community organizing, you're actually constantly immersed in this like very heavy stuff all the time. And when you don't stop and you don't have time to kind of process, to reflect and to regroup that, that will get you. And I, I definitely had a few moments this past couple of weeks feeling just overwhelmed, but also um, like emotional overwhelmed, but also feeling like it was getting a lot um, being really immersed. I suppose. I mean, it's part of the work. And I think, uh, who knows, like it's only going to get more of that, but still it happened. <laughs> so Ahmed, what, what are some of the conversation you're hearing lately and uh, who are you engaging and what are the stories that you're, uh, you're hearing?
0: So one thing um, that I want to do more often this time around that I didn't do as much as I should have last time is really delving deep into the, I guess, layers of community. Because often when we hear of community, um, we think of community organizations, and so we approach those folks. But really, there in every community there is a specific group of um, whether it be the grandmothers or the mothers or the aunts that are really the ones that are driving the community, and the community organizers are the head and per se. And so it's been it's been great. From the Somali perspective as an artist I didn't really know how to engage my community before so that's another thing even though I'm Somali and I was born in Somalia I have my own challenges with engaging with the community uh, there's a very specific way and doing things which is you approach them and you speak with them individually and I didn't have the capacity last campaign but this time I, I let them know that it's challenging for me and so let's create a zoom meeting where we can talk collectively and get all of the main questions out of the way And then if there are any individual questions that people would want to follow up with, uh, that would be something good. And so uh, this past Sunday, actually a week ago, we did hold a Somali community um, gathering. And it was very nourishing to see the amount of support once I stepped out of my own head and really followed, I guess, quote unquote, the guidelines and the rules. But it is challenging because I think that's the challenge of campaigning as a diverse individual, is that there are those nuances that you have to be privy to. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure yeah. you're, you're aware of that yeah, as well. Yeah,
1: totally. I mean, I think in a, in a similar vein, uh, I was part of a community conversation. It was specific for uh, the Philippines' Independence Day celebration, and the focus was about storytelling of migration. And, uh, you know, there was a number of speakers, including myself, who are not Filipino, but we were sharing our own migration story. And, you know, the the, the theme was that, you know, we actually share, we have a lot of shared stories and shared experiences with migration as how it's extremely layered it's very nuanced because as a migrant you know we all want to see our homeland do well but we're also here in our you know new country and how do we contribute in a way that brings out the best for all of you know the people here but anyways there's you know there's just so many different layers and you know one of my parting kind of thought that i i had was you know Especially as our country, as our province, our, as as our city become more diverse with migrants, um, whether from you know other provinces or even from other countries, I think it's really important for our decision makers, our leaders, to really understand the nuances that you know you're talking about, um, and similarly here, like the nuances of those experience to make better decisions that can really benefit everyone. And at this conversation, we recognize that migration isn't specifically you know, a Filipino issue. It wasn't just a Chinese or, uh, you know, a South Sudanese or a Mexican experience or issue. It's actually a quite shared experience. Um, And Mm -hmm. lately I've been finding that there's a lot of things like that where, I mean, like there's been lots of conversations about anti-racism, for example. And it's not just a racialized issue of a particular community. There is so there, there is so much that we share and that how do you harness that share experience for collective good is something I'm really always um, in, interested in.
0: Well That's so true. It's almost it seems like migration is a good word choice, too, is that we are all taking different routes and essentially going to the same spot, right, which is the support the community needs, the challenges we're having. It, it doesn't it seems that the challenges are similar. But how those challenges came about are sometimes different. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, I know in the Somali community uh, specifically, there's always a need for better representation, Mm -hmm. um, even when it comes to any incidences that happen in the community because uh, there was the incidents way back where all the young uh, Somali boys were dying and that was through violence and and gangs and stuff. And then now you have uh, the sisters who wear hijabs who are being attacked for their identity and for their choice to wear a hijab. And it seems that ultimately it lands back to safety, being welcomed for who you are and where you okay. are from. Because often I found that those youth who were going through those challenges lacked identity. And when you don't feel Somali enough or Canadian enough, then you find yourself in this limbo and you don't know how to identify and then you'll find something to belong to. You know, and so it's it's it feels like we're all... Searching for an opportunity to, um, I guess, gain privilege, which is access to information and opportunity mm-hmm. to better our communities. Because we, um, I think an example of this is the Vietnamese community that's talked about a lot in Edmonton when they first came. I think there was a huge rate um, of crime and, um, and and stuff that was happening with that community. But now they're very well integrated and you don't hear of any of that stuff. It's that integration of belonging and being part of something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, So it's not specific to any group if these challenges are universal, but how we get to those challenges or how we get out of those challenges are often different and require a little bit of a, a little bit of, I guess. Nuance. um, Personal. (laughs) Yeah. A little nuance, a little personal way of dealing.
1: Yeah. And I think just, I guess, one more thought on this point about nuance. Um, If you think about policy and, you know, the things that we often find in the news, things are often kind of, labeled as, you know, Black Lives Matter is a Black issue, truth and reconciliation is an indigenous issue, Uh, you know, anti-Asian hate is is an Asian issue, Islamophobia is a Muslim issue, and, you know, like, there's the immigrant issue, there's the seniors, whatever. And I think we tend to unwittingly reduce these issues down to simple identity politics that you know, I think while it's true that we want to highlight the the, the very different experiences met by different communities, it becomes very reductionist, uh, and it's not. It doesn't end up adding to, I think, the movement. Yeah.
0: yeah, but there's so much there's so much rapid fire of hate that often it's challenging for people to get together, even within our own communities, to try to rally back against this because it almost feels like we're trying to deal with a forest fire and right we're all on different corners of the forest but essentially we're dealing with the same Mm, fire that's right you know and and even within our own communities the way we want to turn the fire or take the fire down is different some might want to take a plane and put the water down somebody might want to actually get in line up with uh, a bunch of uh, fire trucks to uh, really douse the fire down but ultimately it's it's the same challenges that we're all dealing with but we're inundated with so much fire metaphorically speaking, that we're often fragmented when it comes to the dealing with these with these challenges because it's overwhelming at times when one incident happens and you're trying to deal with that, then you have to deal with the report or what people are saying about the communities that those, uh, um, I guess, actions happen to. So you find yourself defending yourself rather than really trying to find an opportunity to prevent that.
1: And I think that's what I'm worried about. I'm, I'm worried about when we take this reductionist approach we sometimes end up saying, "Oh, this fire is bigger than this other fire, and therefore we need to put more water on this fire when actually they 're all just fire, and in fact, if you don 't control all of them they 're all going to spread and have an even bigger fire and I think that's that 's what I am worried about i mean but I have been you know thinking what 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 i I am heartened by is more and more there's a greater recognition." Uh, about the impact of some of these issues like racism like like the discrimination like exclusion, and these issues of belonging affect people differently, and there's more awareness because there's more mobilization within communities and what I, what I hope to see more of is that these diverse communities come together uh more frequently uh to talk about that shared experience and to say, how do we then mobilize together and i, I and I think we're seeing that and I, and I think we're gonna see more of that. this fight doesn't stop you know it's it's only gonna continue.
0: No, it's true. There, but the narrative also always gets hijacked. An example is in 2017, when that Somali individual took a truck and hit the police, um, we got together as a community to say that was something that was, we abhor. we do not believe in that. That is totally against Edmontonians' perspectives. But we as Muslims had to defend and say, we don't believe in that. You know, it's a constant. We have to feel as Muslims, we have to be like, oh, as Muslims, do you guys agree with that? But whenever these incidents happen towards our community, the narrative gets changed where the individuals dealing with mental health or they have their own challenges, they were overwhelmed with school or whatever. And we don't focus on the issue at hand, which is terrorism. And these individuals are causing terror to a specific group of people. And it's, it's, I think it's, we need to change the narrative of how these things are approached as well
1: you know, we talk a lot about like, well, what does it look like when communities come together? And I will say, you know, this past March, um, I was part of a small group of people organizing Bridges Against Hate rally. Uh, And it was, it came right after the Atlanta shooting of where the majority of the victim were, you know, Asian, East Asian women who, you know, they were at this spa and and this gumman came in and, and shot everybody and it was a very traumatizing kind of almost a culmination in a year and a half of uh, heightened uh, racism and discrimination against the Asian community and so that happened and on top of that you know multiple incidents of very violent attacks on hijabi wearing women in Alberta I think we heard stories from Calgary in Edmonton and there was like this heightened fear and then on top of that Uh, There were community members from the indigenous community who came forward and, you know, there's been just outright violence against indigenous people, you know, since a very long time, it's been very ongoing. And all of us were kind of brought together with this common shared trauma and wanting to do something together. And in a matter of like days, it was like five days, you know, a very small group of us, and we were all each from you know, Black, Muslim, Indigenous, Asian, LGBTQ2S uh, community, and we pulled this rally together. And I've actually, you know, afterwards, we reflected a, a lot about it. And I was thinking how, you know, in all my years of involvement in this conversation about inclusion and diversity and anti-racism, I've actually never really worked in a very proactive way in this way, because oftentimes, our communities are pitted against each other for resources, for funding, for credibility, for who gets more visibility on certain issues and whatnot. Because again, we take such a reductionist approach to these issues that we're pitted against each other. And really, really, for the first time, I felt like we were in it together. And it was incredible. And I was just thinking to myself the whole time, like, you know, and this is why. We need to have really diverse representations in our leadership because we can get stuff done in a really productive, in a, you know, in a well-rounded, only there's lots of perspectives at the table. Everyone brought so much experience and we just got things done. And this is why we need diverse representations. Um, this is why we need diverse leaders. So that was, you know, a case where that really just energized me to be like, we're not just talking about diversity here. You know, we are doing it you know imagine if our city council imagine if our legislature imagine our parliament imagine our school board our our workplace senior leadership every single level that have people who brought different experiences and different perspectives from different communities we can be so much more powerful so that's my that really became sort of my inspiration to be like i know that this is a thing that many people want to strive for But we're doing it, you know, and it's possible, and we need to continue to set that example.
0: No, that's facts. I know in the Somali community, there is a lot of challenges that we deal with with grants, Mm -hmm. right? We have to jump through hoops to get grants, and who gets that grant? And then all of a sudden define which one's a better community organization when they all have their own expertise and their own benefits, right? Some help people find jobs. Others help single mothers and children. Others help more of a generalized way. And you're absolutely right, there needs to be diversity on all levels, from community organizations to staff members, whether it's the city or the province or the federal, and also elected representatives, because a lot of times they'll bring us to the table, they say, Yo, you guys are dealing with this, how can we help you? We provide recommendations, we provide solutions, but nobody's there from our end or who look like us or who are diverse to follow up on that and really double down and make that change. And it just becomes an equity and diversity office,
1: That's right. right,
0: where now it's just, it's just an office, but there's no really follow through on that stuff. And it's, in all honesty, I think once there is more diversity it will change because I, when I went to the anti-Islamophobia rally on Friday, I had the opportunity at the anti-Islamophobia event to listen to a speaker that really rejuvenated how I looked at a lot of the collective issues that we have. He said, first and foremost, he said, the issue with that the indigenous communities are dealing with are our issues as well. Because had the governments done something about the challenges that the indigenous communities were facing, those challenges wouldn't exist today. Right. Like a perfect example of that is the murdered and uh, missing indigenous women. Right. If nobody's paying attention to that and we're not as immigrants and refugees really supporting and finding how to resolve and give them true support. Who is going to care about the hijabi women's attack? whole that whole metaphorical idea of your neighbor's house is burning and you're like, oh, okay, you know what? It's not my house. Eventually, your house is next, down the line. So it's important that we get ahead and be preventative rather than waiting for it to affect our direct communities.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, and and it's like that saying, right? No one is free until we're all free. And I think we have to constantly be reminding ourselves. Because until we get to that point, this is not a world that we any of us should want to be a part of. I mean, speaking of which, tomorrow is Indigenous People's Day, uh, June 21st, summer solstice. And I sometimes I feel like, you know, and I think this past month, especially with the discovery of, uh, you know, the Louvre mass grave of the 215 children, I often still sense that um, when it comes to truth and reconciliation, it's often the indigenous issue. You know, I'm doing air quotes here. And quite frankly, it's an issue that affects all of us, just like this whole conversation has been about.
0: No, that's absolute facts. And that's why when the whole thing about the, the name changes are happening and people want Grandin uh, to be changed, or Churchill to be changed, or Oliver to be changed. I can empathize with that, and I recognize that because, again, we don't want anybody in our community to feel, or anybody in society to feel, like they're not valued, right? Because when you're having to deal with trauma consistently and remembering the names behind those who are associated with those atrocities and having to use those names then it becomes like us accepting or allowing that to continuously happen. No one's saying that you cannot respect Churchill if that's what you want to do. But if we want to create safe, inclusive, equitable spaces and a society, well, we need to listen to each other and we need to provide that space.
1: Yeah. And I actually recently published a blog on my website about sort of my thoughts in general around truth and reconciliation at the city level. And time and again, and not just this election, and it's not even during election cycle, but you talk to people, the number one thing that make them feel like they belong in a community in a city is when if they see themselves reflected in that environment. And so when you have a lot of symbols and when you have a lot of landmarks and names that is reflective of a history, not from your perspective, but you know from a very different perspective and you don't see your history and your story reflected, it's, it's traumatizing. Um, how can you feel safe? And how can you feel like you belong, um, that you're part of you know, this community? And then so I, th- I certainly think there's, you know, there's some truth to, you know, what kind of community we want to create? And what kind of stories and histories do we want to see in our public spaces? And I also have heard from Indigenous community members and leaders to say, you know, we, it's not that we want to erase That part of the history. We don't want to erase these stories. We just want to make sure that this history is reflected from different perspectives. And very frankly, it is part of the truth. And that's why truth and reconciliation always go go hand in hand. It's part of that truth and accepting that truth and learning that truth is a really important step forward for reconciliation for all of us.
0: No, that is absolutely true. To those who are like, I don't understand this, the whole point of reconciliation, I don't understand the whole point of making land acknowledgements. There's no hate. I understand to a certain degree. Of course, if you can't relate to something, if you have no direct relation or connection to that history, and you, of course you're not, but the point is to empathize with that and not just to say, oh, well, it's not me or it's not my community or it's not us. It doesn't matter who it is. No one should be dealing with that stuff. I use the example of saying the cleaning product. If I talk to you right now that I was cleaning the floor with this thing called the nomadic product, you would be like, okay, cool. But if I say I was cleaning the floor and I was using Pine Sol and I slipped, the, the moment I use Pine Sol, you have a connection. Whether you realize it or not, your brain is creating an affiliation with that product. You've either, A, smelt that product. You've used that product. You may have been in a bathroom where somebody used that and you didn't. It was overwhelming as, as a scent cleaner. So the point is, until you have direct connection, you won't fully comprehend it. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is to try and be empathetic and recognize that these exist and allow yourself to be open to recognize that there is a possibility you can contribute to the change and not just be like it's not us or look at this picture, they looked happy and just try to create narratives that are dismissive rather than inclusive.
1: Totally. And you know, this is how I tend to think about land acknowledgement. You know, I know people it just feels like it's becoming so trite and you just kind of read the same same words and same paragraph. And I will still stand by what I heard, what I learned from Cheryl Jab on the very one of the very first episodes of season one of Otherwise podcast, and she said, you know, I just hope that eventually we're gonna get to a stage where we say so much, it's like saying grace at dinner table, we just become a natural part of who we are, and you know, isn't that just you know a richer story that that's better for all of us, and you know, this past week. Um, there was the Startup TNT Investment Summit. It was a really big, exciting event in the Edmonton's tech community where uh, in, you know investors got together to raise money for local entrepreneurs. And I spent a few days just chatting with you know the organizer and the teams about the land acknowledgement, why you know it's important to do it. And in, in the end, this person, one of the team members, you know, she herself, she's a she's she's fr- she's an immigrant, and she didn't actually know a whole lot about land acknowledgement, but but kind of that prompt got her. Uh, researching about what it is, kind of learning a little bit more about the people who who have always been part of these lands, and then she wrote a she wrote a land acknowledgement that I thought was actually one of the most authentic <laughs> land acknowledgement that I've ever heard, um, and I had the privilege of you know sharing it with the audience, and it was really about kind of why does it matter to know the stories of the lives lived on this land and the people who came before us, and why does it matter to what we're doing at this event. And I wish that we can take that same kind of attitude towards land acknowledgement about learning and not, you know, just be seen as a rote uh, sort of exercise. So anyways, it's, that's a very small thing, um, and maybe it's not a small thing, but hopefully people can think about that, you know, as we uh, celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day tomorrow.
0: I went to a university course, and I was asked to speak, and I made a land acknowledgement. An individual asked me, why are you making land acknowledgments? I said, because uh, Bob Marley says the best. How do you know where you are going if you do not know where you're coming okay. from? It's a point of history to understand so that you can be better in the future. And then I challenged him. I said, why did you stand up for the national anthem your whole life when you have absolutely no connection to it whatsoever, to this queen or to whatever it is? And he didn't have an answer for it directly. So sometimes we just do things because that's how we're done and may it become to the point where we start saying the land acknowledgement because it's something that needs to be done and it does become just a natural thing because it's important to recognize and to affirm that these things happen so that we can be better human beings going forward. And that only happens when we collectively decide as different, regardless of where you are from, who you are, what your heritage is, what your identity is, to stand up. Uh, for people and to stand against injustices anywhere because it doesn't matter whether it's happening to you it's happening to your community and your community is an extension of who you are thank you for listening this episode was edited by lisa pruden with direct support and guidance by omar yakub music produced by kaz Mager. Otherwise Podcast is an affiliate member of the Operative Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported.
1: Special thanks to Megan Robinson-Anagore, Jenna Moji, and Moray Nike molaoshe who are co-founders and contributors to Season 1 of The Otherwise Show, done with the support of the Ribbon Rouge Foundation.
0: You can find past and current episodes at ribbonrouge.com otherwise dash show. To follow our journey, you can check us out at Karen Tang, YG and A-Nomadic on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Or at our websites, KarenTang.ca and ahmaali.ca. Thanks for joining. See you next time.